And now, sifting through the static with your host, Justin Brenner. Today, we're going to cover another part in our series um, with the great late Marty Marion. I'm and, late already. Well, yeah, you're, you're old. <laughs> rumors, rumors of my demise are a little premature. The great late. <laughs> you're not a young buck anymore, my man. That's why I have the knowledge that all of you guys don't have because you weren't even born when these things were invented. That's somewhat truth. Um, We're going to be covering, basically in our series, we've been following along. I don't think we need much of an intro for Marty, uh, but it's going to be covering uh, accelerating the frequency of your purchases, which kind of follows along in our stream of what we've been covering. So I'll let you kick it off, Marty. I know you got a presentation. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate being here. Um, So we're going through a series of presentations about how to enhance your profitability um, as a business. And, you know, it's easy to say, sure, more customers, more purchases, get customers to spend more money, uh, get them to spend more money more frequently. But it's not as easy as just saying it, right? The focus of all the resources, all the time, all the energy, all the learning curve, the the tactical implementation, the creative process, getting ads done, placing them, buying them, structuring campaigns um, to generate traffic, to come to your destination is a tremendous amount of effort. It's a lot of work. It costs not just money, but time. Yep. And you don't want to waste that. So your objective is to look at all that front end cost top of funnel, if you want to call it that, lead generation, traffic driving, whatever you want to call it, there's a cost. If you take that cost, you want to generate not just sales and not just revenue, but profitable margin that exceeds your cost of driving those customers to come. Because if you're spending, pick a number, let's make it really easy. You're spending $10,000 to drive traffic. At the end of the day, after your cost of goods and your cost of customer support and all the other things that you're doing, your cost of shipping out product and whatever it is, packaging, if you bring in After all those costs, $10,000, you've broken even. And the time that you've spent to get to that point has a cost to it. Sometimes people refer to it as the cost of money, the cost of time. Time is a cost. Mm -hmm. And so because the greatest majority of us are in competitive businesses, competitive niches, We sell competitive products, competitive services. Uh, We want to move as quickly as possible to drive profitability. Bottom line, profitability. So 
and, and Justin, you know this as well as I do, we both know companies that do millions of dollars of revenue and they're upside down. Correct. Well, something's wrong with that picture. Now, that doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong. Maybe they just haven't hit that time period where they've crossed over that threshold, right? Or maybe they are doing something wrong. Maybe they're not looking at the right formulas. Maybe they're not looking at how to maximize dollars in. There's a lot of definitions here. This is more complicated than a lot of people think it is. And, you know, we all see on Facebook and every other platform, hire me and I'll 10x your business or do this technique or this tactic and it'll 20x your business and it'll draw six figures, seven figures, 10 figures, 92 figures, right? What they don't talk about is a concept called contribution margin. We sound like Grant Cardone, by the way, 10x. Do I? Yeah. Oh, man. Bummer. <laughs> Rather sound like Gary V, but then I get censored. Um, it's funny you say that, because I'm going to use an example from a, a Grant Cardone piece later on in the presentation. But revenue is great. Sales are great. Purchases are great. But if they're not at a profitable margin, when everything else is considered, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got gross revenue coming in, out of which you've got costs. You've got cost of product, cost of service, cost of shipping, cost of fulfillment, cost of marketing. You've got all these costs that come in. Yep. So because we're in competitive businesses, you can't have your product be eight times the price of the next nearest competitor or you price yourself out of the market. Yep. So efficiencies become important. Can you do something more efficiently? Can you save another 5% of cost, another 8% of cost, another 15% of cost? Well, there's a whole other way to look at this. And that's what we're going to start to talk about today. So today is, I don't even remember what part of this whole series today is, but today is the first part of a several part program on what we're going to call the scaling curve. Okay. And I'm going to explain the scaling curve in a moment. But today we're going to start with the concept that you cannot hit your second home run. You cannot score your second touchdown until you've already done your first. So getting the first touchdown has to happen before you can get a second touchdown. It's just simple. The faster you can get that first touchdown, the faster you can get to an opportunity to make a second touchdown. Let's replace the word touchdown with purchase. The faster you can get a customer to make a first purchase, the faster you can get to the point where that customer is available or capable of making a second purchase, or you're capable of stimulating that second purchase. So what we're talking about today is the concept of stimulation. And stimulation means a number of different things. We're going to go into that all. So 
I'm going to take you through the first part of stimulation. And in our next session, we're going to go much deeper into stimulation onto the tactical side. I'll show you a couple of strategies and formulas and examples today, but the real tactics of how to implement these things. I'm going to start today and we're going to go into the next session. So with that, I'm going to share my screen. And I'm going to ask Justin to confirm that my screen is. Yes, I see correct. your presentation. Yep. It is? Yep. Wow. Technology is wonderful. So, hi, everybody. I'm Marty Marion. And this is a presentation that I've adapted out of a course, a live training course that I've just launched called the Epic Ecom Reset. Talk about that at the end for a moment. Today, we're going to talk about stimulating increased purchase frequency. So in this PDF file, which everybody will get as we um, finish this and Justin posts it in the group, a little bit of a bio about me. Most of you know who I am by now. So purchase frequency, where it fits, where, where does it fit? What is it? Simply put, the frequency of purchasing, which is also referred to often as the repurchase rate, is known to be a major driver of total revenue, right? But it has a really important role in what I'm going to define in a moment as the scaling curve. And it has more dimensions to it than most marketers really understand. So let's first talk about the scaling curve and where purchase frequency fits in. And then We'll take a look at some of the facets of purchase frequency and how to increase it. So frequency of purchasing by your customer base is the third phase in the scaling curve. And it's one of the most important, and it's also one of the easiest to execute. But remember what I said before, you can't score your second touchdown until you've scored your first. Mm -hmm. You can't get to your third phase until you've done your second phase. And you can't do your second phase until you've done your first phase. So let's take a look at where this curve comes in. But I will tease you a little bit to say that if you do this right, stimulating the frequency of purchases should be responsible for at least 50% of all your sales across your entire customer portfolio. That's a lot of sales. And you have all heard this. The cost of acquiring a new customer is infinitely greater than the cost of getting a customer to make a second or third or a fourth purchase. And that's what this is all about. But we're going to add a few twists. So the scaling curve refers to a linear and somewhat overlapping set of components that are required to scale any business to profitability. Now, some of these components are required to be predicate, meaning they have to come first, like an assembly line. Some of these components have to come after something has already been done, so they're subsequent. And sometimes there's a bit of overlap because you're not getting all of your brand new customers on the exact same day. 
So some of your customers are entering phase one, phase two, or phase three, or phase four at different time periods. So this scaling curve is a rolling set of activities. Okay. So when I talk about predicate and subsequent, the frequency of purchase component, as I said, is phase three. It's the third component. But you've got to map it out and plan it before you execute phase two, because what you say, what you do, and how you implement phase two is meant for one purpose. And that is to prepare your customer to be ready to do what you need them to do in phase three. But if you don't know what phase three looks like, you can't set up your customers in phase two. So we work backwards. That's why I'm starting with phase three. So the scaling phase, just to give you the whole picture quickly, consists of four primary phases. And there's a fifth phase, which we should be prepared for, but we hope we never need to use it. Phase one is the phase of acquisition. You can call it lead generation. You can call it traffic driving, whatever you want to call it. Acquisition is everything that you do, all your marketing channels and efforts across all platforms to bring prospects to your destination, including warming them up to be prepared to do the very first thing that you want them to do. I call that your desired first action. Now, it doesn't have to be a purchase, but it should. Yeah. It could be a sign-up. could be a form fill. could be a phone call. could be a request for a proposal. But there's a first action where that prospect crosses over the line from being a prospect to entering the world of being a customer, if not actually becoming a customer. Yep. That's the line of going from acquisition to conversion. Right. And everybody's now is talking about conversion optimization. Conversion optimization has been hot. It's always been hot. What good is driving all the traffic in the world if nobody's buying? Nobody's signing up. What at yeah. what point I have a question for you? Because <clears throat> I've been very fortunate to work with massive brands, but in your opinion, because I know you're very high level into branding, at what point do you think a brand should introduce an awareness phase? As early as possible. Because awareness actually means different things to different people. Well, let me rephrase that. When I say an awareness media, I mean in platform, you're bidding for like a reach and frequency model. You're, you're running traffic campaigns rather than conversion focusing for purchase, just to clarify. There is an appropriate mix, if you will, a ratio. Mm -hmm. pure awareness, reminder, get in, get in front of the right eyeballs, top of mind, and what I'll call sales-oriented media. Yep. yep. And that mix is going to differ greatly. So, for example, if you're already a somewhat known brand in your market, 
Coca-Cola. Yep. Who doesn't know Coca-Cola? You ever see Coca-Cola ads that are actually selling Coke? Not really. You see ads that are reminding you. Awareness ads of the brand and what the brand stands for. You will see certain instances of what I'll call sales stimulation for well-known brands. There you are. You went to the movie theater. The movie's about to start. You're seeing all the coming attractions. And guess what? There's a pre-roll, if you will, ad for, and you still have time to go to the snack bar and get your popcorn and Coca-Cola. Well, that's a sales ad. In my world of e-com online in the digital world, I look at brand awareness as more important if you have a completely cold audience. No one knows who you are. You just came out. You've got a massive competition landscape facing you and you need to you need to get your target audience to at least know you exist yep now if you have an irresistible offer maybe you don't need to do as much brand awareness or brand building if you will right but there's a role for it and it has a lot of factors that that play into that and you know we can do a session on that um which i think would be a great session to do so yep. I'll put that down for one of our next sessions. But I want to go back to the scaling curve. So step one, top of funnel, acquisition. Everything you do, bring the horse to the water. Phase two, converting them. Everything you do to get that horse that you just brought to the water to take their first drink. And I refer to that as if your horse, your prospect, hasn't taken your first action, made their first purchase, done a sign up, a form fill, whatever, then there is zero. And your objective, your only objective, is to turn them into a one, right? They make their first touchdown. Because you can never get them to become a two before they've become a one. Yep. So we have to turn zeros into ones. Then, we move into the next phase, which is the stimulation phase, which is everything that you do to take your ones, your first time purchasers, to become more valuable to you over time and to do it more quickly and more consistently. So you're turning your ones into twos, and your twos into threes, your threes into fours. But it's not just get them to make a next purchase. You need to get them to shorten the time between purchase actions. I'm going to give you an example in a moment. Which I think for some brands could be hard, especially if you have a consumable good. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's exactly the example I'm going to show. Think on the next slide. Multivitamin. You know, I take one a day. You can't accelerate you, that unless they're buying for somebody else, like family or something. Well, right? actually, you can. And that's a really, really good teaser that you brought up. Because I'm going to show you, not only can you, 
but you should, and it's easy to do. Okay. So let's put that in our mind for a little bit later. So in turning your ones into twos and your twos into threes, you want to try to get that increased number of purchases made to happen more quickly. Mm -hmm. You squeeze more of them into the same period of time, right? Yep. But you also want to get your customers to increase their average order value. What are they spending every time they make a purchase? Can you creep that up? Can you get someone who's used to spending $25 every time to spend 30 or 35? You get someone who spends $100 to spend 150 and so on. Can you get them to increase their contribution margin? Meaning, can you get your customers to migrate to products that may have a higher margin for you? Mm-hmm. Because not every product that you have, if you have 20 products, 50 products, Justin, you and I have worked on together for clients that have thousands of products, right? And while all of them have some margin of profit, their margin's not the same for every product. Yeah. So over time, if we can do all of these things, if we can get more purchases made in a more compact period of time, if we can get each purchase to spend more dollars, And if we can get each purchase to spend more profitable dollars, then we have a triple win on our hands. That's what it's all about. The phase four is the retention or loyalty phase, which is everything that you do to ensure that your customers don't leave you. They don't go away. And everything you do to stimulate your customers to increase their lifetime value. Yep. And you want to try to get LTV up as close to the front end as possible and to sustain it as long as possible. And then there's the fifth phase, which I said we hope we don't have to use, which is win back, which is basically whatever you do to bring someone back who used to be a customer, but for some reason went away. They opted out. They haven't engaged in a certain set period of time, you think you've lost them, maybe they went to a competitor, they haven't been responding to your emails or your offers, and you need to do things to try to get them back. So these are the first five phases. We're going to talk today about phase three, frequency of purchase. And it is almost as important as retention Not quite, just shy. And we're going to talk about retention in a future series. But here's why. The frequency that you want to increase your purchase rate is because you've already spent whatever it is you're spending to acquire and convert. That money's gone. That's a sunk cost now. Mm -hmm. So your objective is to try to amortize that as quickly as possible and reduce what we call its drag down effect on your total profitability. How much are you spending on advertising a month? What's your monthly spend? Okay. And what's your monthly revenue? And are you upside down? Are you at break even? Your objective is to try to understand that what you're spending on the front end is an investment. It is 
pretty unlikely in most cases that first purchases are net profitable because right. the cost of acquisition typically exceeds what you're going to get on a first purchase. Right. Um, you know, a great example of this in the service industry is attorneys, right? Uh, attorneys who do ma mass torts, for example, and they're looking for someone who are, who has a family member who had a you know, lung cancer from asbestos, you would be paying thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to get one client. And it could take you four years to settle that case. But you when you a, do, a hundred million dollar case. A asbestos, is that what you said? Yeah. I always call it asbestos. I don't know what's pronounced right, but I like the way you say it. Um, in consumer packaged goods, the same situation occurs. Typically, first purchases aren't optimized as well as they could be or should be. Mm -hmm. And so your cost of acquisition usually exceeds what you're bringing in in net contribution revenue on your first purchase, especially if you're using a third party like an influencer or an affiliate where you've got to share revenue, right? So you need to get that second purchase, that third purchase, that fourth purchase. And that's really important for a lot of brands because, you know, a lot of brands, a brand always wants to scale, right? But what they don't realize is that in order to scale, you have to lose money. Usually if you want to scale rapidly on your first purchase and you make it up over the course of possibly an LTV model, like to rapidly scale. And that's right. hard for a lot of smaller brands because they don't necessarily have the cash flow and they don't have VC funds or anything like that. It's cash in versus cash out, which can make it difficult. You are so right on the money with that, Justin. And that's exactly why we're talking about frequency of purchase today, because this is a way that even small undercapitalized, tightly capitalized brands can get there more quickly. Because if you can amortize your cost of acquisition faster, mm -hmm. it increases not only your individual purchase margin, but your total margin, increases your LTV, which impacts your profitability. If we can get to profitability faster, and we don't need as much outside funding. We don't have to dilute our company and give away huge pieces of our kids' future, right? Um, to bring in the capital to survive. So yeah. frequency of purchasing, it's important to understand this concept. It is a pattern of behavior. How frequently each one of your customers comes back to make a next purchase is a behavioral pattern. And behavioral patterns, you all know about Skinner and Pavlov training the dog to salivate. Patterns of behavior can and should, and it's your responsibility as a business owner, striving for profitability for your stakeholders, for your owners, for your shareholders, for your investors, to guide, manage, and train and control every single one of your customers. Now, every one of your customers isn't identical. So how you train them isn't always the same way. But if you're not in control of what your customers are doing, then you're letting your customers control your bottom line. And that is an absolute recipe for failure real fast. 
And because you can't rely on your customers to voluntarily wake up on Wednesday and say, gee, you know what? I'm going to go back to justinswebsite.com and I'm going to buy more of that Justin product. You have to take charge of the process. And your objective, going back to that first touchdown, has to be made before you get second. Your objective is to do pretty much whatever it takes to get that first purchase or purchase-like action, which could be a form fill, could be a sign-up, done as quickly as humanly imaginable. Because if they don't become a one, they're never going to become a two. And at the same time as you get them to become a one is the ideal time to get them to increase what they're purchasing. And this speaks a little bit, Justin, to what you were talking about, the multivitamin. Because the ideal is to get them to not only become a one, but to become a two at the same time. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how that's done. So remember that you are now guiding and managing and controlling or whatever term you want. You're in charge of when your customer takes the actions you want them to take. It's a process of training. And training doesn't necessarily happen instantaneously. But what you want to try to do is train your customer to expect and also not to expect very specific things. So you don't want to train your customer to expect discounts all the time. Why? Because then they're just going to wait until you have the next sale. Oh, a sale's coming. Yeah. You don't want to train your customer to always wait for the sale. But you do want to train your customer to expect and to anticipate certain opportunities, let's call them at this point, to happen at a set cadence, okay? I know that when I wake up every morning, a certain period of time, I'm going to have my breakfast within a range of a, of a half an hour. I know that. I expect my breakfast within a certain range. Customers can be trained to expect to receive an email from you early in the morning or only on the weekend or Wednesday evenings or every Friday night. When do you get your American Express credit card statement? Ah, on the 25th of every month. Well, you expect it. Why? Because they've trained you to expect it. How did they do that? Well, carrot stick. I get my statement and I have so many days to pay it. And if I don't pay it, whack, my credit report gets dinged. If I do pay it, I get rewarded. So your objective as a business owner is not only to get to profitability, but you get there by training and controlling your customers. Mm -hmm. Remember that stimulation of purchasing is always a matter of what we call in legal terms or marketing legal terms, consideration. 
I give you something, you give me something. That's consideration. Want to buy my car? Fine. You pay me, I get the money, I give you my car. We have consideration. In our case, in e-com, the customer does something of value for you. They buy something, they give you money, they spend money, and they give you data. And in return, you are doing something of value for the customer. You're providing them a product that ideally solves a problem or fulfills a need or a desire. And you want your customers to get used to expecting this, whatever something it is, of value. Because when they get that value, they give you their value back, which is the purchase. Yep. But you also want them not to know exactly what it is every single time. So other than an occasional, wow, what we call surprise and delight, the cost of the value given by you should intentionally decrease over time. So what you are giving to your customers should be costing you less and less and less each time as time goes by. And if it does, commensurately, the other side is your margins go up, your profitability goes up. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to bring a customer from a zero to a one. We're trying to train them to get used to doing certain things we want them to do. And we are now controlling the rate at which they're doing it, the price at which they're paying it, and the margin at which we're getting it. Let's talk about how that's done. Most frequently, the concept of purchase frequency is calculated by dividing the total number of all the orders you get by the number of unique customers over some period of time. That could be a month, a week, a year. Pick a time. Effectively, it's the average number of orders per customer in a time range. So think of it in lead gen language. It's similar to an attribution window, right? Using a seven-day look back, 10-day look back, 30-day look back. It's not exactly the same, but you get the concept. Yep, yep. But in order to control anything, that's based on a mathematical foundation, you have to map it out before you engage it. Otherwise, you're guessing. And frankly speaking, in e-com, there's almost no guesswork because companies that have spent tens or hundreds of billions of dollars, the biggest companies in the universe, they've already tested everything. There's no guesswork. What I'm showing you, what I'm teaching in my course, are the strategies and the tactics that have already been proven for decades with billions of dollars of spend tested behind them. And you don't need to reinvent the wheel. What you do need to do is scale it down to the size of your business and the stage of your business and the state of your funding capability. So you want to create a purchase frequency plan, a strategy as soon as possible. 
you can also use another measurement called repeat purchase rate, which is the number of customers who purchased more than, pick a number, once, twice, three times within a specific period of time, divided by the total number of customers who made any number of purchases. Repeat purchase rates are really important metric because one of the things that it allows you to do is segment your total customer audience. So you've got a whole bunch of customers who are ones, you've got a whole bunch who are twos, you've got a whole bunch who are threes, and some who are fours, and less who are fives, and so on. And as you extend your time scaling of building your business, you get to the point where you've got multiple segments of customers. And you do different things in your training of each segment so that you can migrate them into the next segment higher. Mm -hmm. There's also another measurement called the simple repurchase rate, which is calculated as follows. You take the total number of orders in a given time period and you divide it by the total number of unique customers. Very straightforward. Now, it's not highly sophisticated, doesn't give you a lot of information to play with, but on a gross level, it can give you trend data, which can tell you that I'm doing better this month than I did last month, or I'm doing better this quarter than I did last quarter, or I'm not. Mm. Now you can look for why. It's also important to understand your pure purchase frequency, which is very, very, it's, this is the simplest formula of all. A specific period of time divided by purchase frequency. Now, I think it's important to add a level of complexity on top of this so that it, you can better allocate your marketing resources over time. So I think it's necessary that you do this by segment. What does a segment really mean? You can segment and you should segment your customers, in my opinion, two ways by commonalities, meaning this group of customers all share similar characteristics. Therefore, they're probably likely to behave similarly. And you should also look at segmentation by differences. So for example, one of the easiest might be men versus women customers, or customers in their 20s versus customers in their 40s. Mm -hmm. It might be customers who live in a major city versus rural customers. It could be customers who bought on a weekday versus a weekend, bought in the morning versus at night, spent $10, spent $1,000. So many ways to slice and dice it depends on the nature of your business. And we're going to go to what Justin was talking about earlier here about products that need to be replenished. So purchase frequency plans have a lot of factors that go into them. One is the type and the cost of your product, right? The higher the cost of your product on average, the lower and potentially slower you should expect repeat frequency, right? Because if somebody's spending a lot of money, it's unlikely they're going to do it every 15 minutes or every day or every week. 
consumption rate, which is just in what you were talking about before, how quickly does your product need to be replenished? So the faster your product needs to be refilled, replaced, replenished, you can expect a faster uptake of second, third, and fourth purchase. So let's talk about the multivitamin example you used. So buy a multivitamin and it's one a day, right? And there's 30 capsules in, in the bottle. So I bought a month's supply. A lot of marketers might think, well, I bought a month's supply. So he's not going to be ready to buy a second bottle for close to a month because he already got some. What does he need more for? I'm going to show you how that works in a moment. It also matters where you are in your training program, where you're, where you're at in terms of training your customers. So what's the timing of sending out emails? What's the timing and the depth of the offers you're making? Are you offering a buy one, get one? A buy one, get one at 50%? Are you offering buy two, get one free? What does your offer structure look like? And how are you planning that and why? Are you giving the same offer to every segment? Or are you segmenting your offers as well? What's it based on? Is it based on prior behavior of a consumer? Are you rewarding your customers? Do you have a loyalty program? And how are you rewarding them? And what can they do with the rewards that they're getting? And so on. Mm -hmm. So just to summarize this, purchase frequency plans, strategies, are intended to accomplish specific objectives in addition to the training and the conditioning of your customer to take certain actions in a certain period of time. So here's what the specifics are. You want your customers to make more purchases faster, i.e. shorten the time between purchase actions, right? Here's the example. Customer A makes a purchase on average once every two months. Well, if they're buying once every two months, that means they're buying six times a year. Cool. Let's suppose you can take customer, customer B, and through very specific tactics, stimulate them to shorten the time between purchases from eight weeks, two months, to six weeks. Just shorten it by two weeks. Well, guess what? Now that customer is making nine purchases a year. That's a 50% increase in the number of purchases. 50%. And anybody who's in an econ business or a CPG business and doesn't think, wow, if I could get my customers to increase their purchasing by 50%, isn't a massive grand slam out of the ballpark home run, then you shouldn't be in business. You also want to have your customers make more immediate and take up more immediate, irresistible offers as quickly as possible. And one of my favorites is the order bump. And you all know what an order bump is, right? Yes, please, I'd also like this. Well, order bumps come in a lot of different forms. I 
go to an apparel website, I see a pair of jeans that I really like, and I'm adding it to my cart, and they're showing me, well, you may also like these t-shirts. Kind of an order bump, right? They're getting me to try to buy a second product at the same time. I like to have this happen at the same moment. So yeah. I like to put my order bumps, and for, I do this for all of my clients, in the checkout path, not after the checkout, in the checkout. And I'm going to show you examples of that. I want, if we can't put it in the checkout path, I want that upsell to happen literally within seconds of completing the first purchase. So we'll get back to the vitamin example as an as a example, Just I'm going to call you out on that. Okay. And you want to test this response cadence rate by segment. You may find that certain segments could be by product preference. Let's say you have a jewelry store online and you're selling earrings and you're selling bracelets and you're selling necklaces. Well, you may find that consumers who buy earrings buy them more frequently than they buy necklaces. That may be a reality. Different segments based on product preference. You may have different audiences. You may have an audience for one type of product that's a rural audience. You may have an audience for a different type of product that's a, a suburban audience. And sources. You may have customers that came from social media. You may have customers that came from organic search, paid search, remarketing affiliates, referrals, different sources. They're going to behave differently. You also want to increase the AOV of each subsequent purchase. If your first purchase from any customer is upside down, meaning you've spent more to acquire and convert that customer than the revenue that came in for the first purchase, mm -hmm. absolutely want to accelerate amortizing that investment cost as quickly as possible. You want to get out of red ink. If your first purchase is at break even, you still want to accelerate your purchase frequency so that you can move into the profitability zone more quickly because it gives you more disposable dollars to spend on other and additional and enhanced marketing where it's working best. Mm -hmm. And if your first purchase by any chance can actually contribute a profit margin, it's profitable on the first purchase action, you want to accelerate your purchase frequency as quickly as possible to get LTV built up and to cement retention with that customer. Because the faster you can get purchase number two made, the better for a hundred reasons. And we talked earlier about you want to get a higher contribution margin out of each subsequent purchase. Here, your objective is to migrate every next purchase that's within the customer's acceptable value range to a higher contribution margin. So if you've got a group of customers that are comfortable spending $100, can you get them to spend that same $100 on a product that gives you 5, 10, 15% more profitability than the previous purchase. 
Mm-hmm. And so what you're trying to do here is in, get to a point where you're increasing the average margin contribution of every subsequent purchase from every possible customer. You also want to get to a point where you are getting the customer to demonstrate to you a higher and higher level of trust. Well, because the more a customer trusts you and your brand and your product, the more they like it, they bought it, they enjoy it, it worked, it did what it was supposed to do, more likely they're going to come back, but you want them to demonstrate this. And how do they demonstrate this? They vote for you with their wallets, with their credit cards. Customers spend more money and make more purchases and are more loyal to and stay longer with and become active advocates and referrers of businesses and brands and products that they trust the most. So give them reasons to trust you more, to like you more. But remember the point about consideration? Make them demonstrate it as part of the training and conditioning. If you do this, I'll give you a reward. And then very subtly in the training phase, it flips. I'm giving you this reward and I'm expecting that you're going to reciprocate and demonstrate your trust by voting for me with another purchase. Most important hurdle of all, is to get that first purchase or purchase action completed, ideally on your prospect customer's first visit to your destination. Even if it means giving away a free product or a very, 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 very low hurdle price. Now, this is not meant to be a lead magnet. It's a real purchase action. So how does a free product become a purchase action? Because you must require a purchase payment step and a data capture. So I can give you a free product and ask you to pay shipping of 99 cents. Of course, I'm going to be upside down on the first purchase, but we're going to offset that in just a minute. But by making you take a payment step, even if it's a dollar, A, it becomes virtually irresistible. Who doesn't want a free product? That could be worth $5, $10, $50, whatever, for a dollar. And all these, oh, download my free ebook, just pay $18 in shipping. Everybody knows that's crap. But if you do it, in such a way where here's a free product because we'd love you to try our product. We know you're going to love it. So here's a free one. Just pay $1 for shipping. Almost no one says no to that. It's virtually irresistible. But in order for someone to pay $1, they still have to enter their credit card information. They have to go through your checkout process, which means you're getting their name, the address to ship the product to, you're capturing their data, 
And most importantly, you are training them to pull out their credit card for your website for your product. So the immediate purchase objective is almost always going to be inconsequential relative to your average cost of acquisition. But it's priceless for setting up subsequent stimulation. It's that first touchdown, data capture, segmentation. I have six different flavors of my product. I've got nine different colors of my t-shirt. I know that Justin bought the blue one. Guess what I'm going to offer him in my first engagement email? Something blue? Another t-shirt? And if we can further amortize our cost of acquisition, especially having given away a free product, we want to, we need to add an immediate order bump in the checkout process. And you want to make it an irresistible offer, but not free this time. The order bump should be calculated to be just slightly over your cost of goods. And it has to have urgency and FOMO. It's a one time. It's on the checkout page. Add it to my order right now. Because when you leave this page, it's gone. And we have found that if this is done the right way, between 30 and 60% of all customers who take your free product and pay $1 for shipping are also going to take the order bump. And guess what that does to your average order value? Because your order bump is over your cost of goods. So what happens is you set this up in such a way that the customer has the fewest number of clicks, meaning the fewest number of opportunities to say, yeah, don't think so. I'll pass. I'll come back next time. And there's a number of ways to get additional information that helps you stimulate the next purchases. You can ask your customers for their preferences. Or you can just look at what they're doing and record it in your CRM. There's a tactic I use called the preference center, and I'll show you that in a subsequent series. Um, but the preference center is an amazing tactic that actually your customer wants to give you all the information you need. They can't wait to give it to you. I'm gonna show you how to do that. We wanna use prior customer behavior to segment their, your next communication to them specific offers, and to time the continuous points of contact. So you want to be able to mix sales, Justin alluded at the very beginning to brand awareness, right? Brand awareness versus sales contacts and, and ads and emails and communications and posts. So you want to mix these in an appropriate ratio. Over time, that mixture is going to change depending on your profitability picture, where each customer is in that profitability curve. The more profitable a customer or a segment becomes, the more you can afford to just give them valuable information. You don't have to sell them every single time. Customers don't like to be beat over the head. Buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. 
you're going to wind up hurting yourself more than helping. So to summarize, we want to get a first purchase action fast on the first visit if we can. It has to include a financial transaction and you capturing some data. A sign-up is not sufficient, although in some businesses it may be the only option. So you want to try to use an on-checkout or an in-checkout, or what we call an inline checkout order bump to amortize your cost. And if you do this right, and over the last 10 years of doing this, we've seen on average between 30 and 60% of all customers take the order bump first shot out of the gate. First time they're on your site and they make that first purchase because it's free, and costing them a dollar in shipping, 30 to 60% are gonna take the order bump. Let's look at a couple of examples. So you strongly want an inline checkout order bump rather than after they've clicked the submit button. Here's likely it's going to double your take-up rate. And this is going back to your vitamin example, Justin. It has been proven hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of spend that if it's a refreshable, consumable, consumer packaged good type of product, you want to offer your customer more of the exact same product they just got for an amazing, irresistible price. And if you can't do that because your product is too high priced, you want to give them a very, very highly related, slightly different product especially if your free giveaway product is not a consumable. And you want to make that order bump irresistible, meaning literally calculate 5 to 10% above your cost of goods. This point, it's not about making profit. At this point, it's about training the customer to make a purchase. So we also want and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here because this is kind of like the exciting part where the rubber meets the road. You want your order bump to be obnoxious. My clients laugh when I tell them this. We spend all this time and money making the website look beautiful. Style, fonts, colors, flow. And now all of a sudden I'm saying, see this order bump? I literally want circus clowns jumping out of the car. I want neon lights and explosions and flashbangs. And I just want balloons coming out of this. I want this order bump to be as obnoxious as humanly possible. Why? Well, first of all, they didn't come for the order bump. They didn't get to your checkout page for the order bump. So maybe they'll laugh. Maybe they'll think it's silly. But they got to your order page because they added the get this for free, just pay $1 in shipping. That's why they're on your checkout page. And while they're on the checkout page, if they see something a little silly, cool, doesn't matter. Our objective is to make sure they cannot possibly miss it. Because if it's worded right, and the pricing is right, 30 to 60% are going to take it. So you want to make this thing hit them in the head, 
smack them across the face with a wet fish. Let's take a look at a couple of examples. First of all, you want your order bump on your checkout page to come before you're asking the customer to enter your payment information. I'm gonna say that again. I'm on the checkout page. Here's what I'm buying. Enter my name, my address, then the order bump, then enter my payment information. Because once you've entered your payment information, the psychology changes subconsciously to, I've already made my purchase. Maybe I didn't click the, the submit button yet, but if I've entered my payment information, I've already made my purchase. So you're gonna lose half your take up on the order bump if you put the order bump after you're asking for the credit card info or the PayPal info. Number two, I said obnoxious. This isn't even half as obnoxious as I like to get. I want big yellow bars. I want flashing arrows. I want five different colors. I want the dots moving around like a neon circus marquee on a movie theater. I want exclamation points. I want strange colors for the call to action. Add yes, add it now, blah, 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 blinking arrows. The more obnoxious you make your order bump, the more people are gonna take it. It's just the way it is. What about pre-checking that box? What are your thoughts on that? Where they have right. to, having that box already checked or they have to uncheck it? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of jurisdictions where that's illegal and the FTC um, will frown on that from a compliance point of view because you really want your customer to opt in psychologically, them adding it. If you've made, let's go back to that for a second. If you've made your order bump mm -hmm. priced right, mm -hmm. irresistible, mm -hmm. they're going to want it. They're going to check the box. Why wouldn't they? If I right. can get four more bottles of multivitamins, right, for 80% off, why wouldn't I do that? I'm going to use them. I know I'm going to use them. They're not going to go bad in 30 days. If it's something that I know I'm going to use more of, and here's an opportunity to save 50, 60, 70, 80%, why wouldn't I take it? So I'm going to check the box. And if you don't get 100% fine, I would rather the customer check the box because that's conditioning them. That's training them to say yes rather than pre-checking the box and having the customer say, oh no, and uncheck it because now you're training them to say no. If it's appropriate, I also like to recommend multiple inline order bumps where one of them is a throwaway intentionally. I want the customer to feel like, okay, this one's really, really cool. I'll take that. I don't need this. If you give the customer an opportunity to say no to one of two, you're going to increase the uptake of the one they want. So 
one could be more product and the other could be expedited delivery. And you know what? You see this on Amazon all the time. Mm -hmm. So nobody can look me in the eye and tell me that Amazon doesn't know what they're doing in terms of stimulating sales. Right. So I recommend having multiple in line on the checkout page order bumps where one of them is intentionally a throwaway. You know, you're expecting the majority of your customers to say no to it. And if anyone takes it as well, wow, home run, that's an extra couple of bucks for you. We talked about making the elements irresistible, okay? This one isn't even nearly as obnoxious as I like, but you want a checkbox with text that is command tone. Yes, add this to my purchase. Yes, send this to me now. Yes, with a checkbox. And I want a big arrow flashing and pointing at it. And I want it in multiple colors dancing around the you. Okay. Um, I want, you know, New Orleans, Mardi Gras beads all over your neck. I want a big headline and I want it in a weird color, a description. And the description basically says, only available on this checkout page. Use it or lose it. Then you want to show the irresistible price. This is one of the few instances where I am totally okay with showing the regular price and a strikeout and now only. This is one of the few examples that I'm okay with showing that because in price anchoring, you don't want to do it this way. Go back and watch the previous sessions that we did on the other lives about price anchoring as to why you don't want to do that. But in an order bump, you do. So trying to get an order bump taken after the customer's already clicked submit on the checkout is a lot more difficult requires more pages. It may require the customer to have to re-enter some information. It may be more complicated or even impossible to code, depending on what platform you're using, WordPress versus Shopify versus big commerce, et cetera. And it's a second resort, but it's better than no order bump at all. I need an immediate order bump opportunity. Ideally at the same time, if I can't do that for whatever reason, seconds after the submit button. And if you can't code it on the website, then within five minutes in an email, hey, we just got your order. This confirms your order. Thank you so much for your business. By the way, for the next hour, we're holding open a special offer for you. Order bump. Get six more bottles for the price of three. So it follows the same rules. More of the same product if it's a consumable, an irresistible price just over your cost of goods. And the only thing you need to make sure of is that the data you're capturing is entered into your CRM as part of what you're capturing on your first order. So in our next session, I'm going to show you how to start mathematically calculating these things. But now I'm going to 
kind of wind this down with a shameless plug for my new live course, the Epic Ecom Reset. In the PDF, there's a link. It's a 12-week program. Once a week, I'm going live on Zoom. People who sign up, I'm doing a 60 to 90-minute training on one topic of very, very advanced ecom strategy, tactics, and examples, and working things out. It's recorded, unlimited replays, PDFs for every single lesson, direct private access for me, and a lot more. I'm also guaranteeing the program. If you implement what I teach, you don't see a massive increase in purchases, AOV, LTV, and profitability. No questions asked, I'll refund 100% of the cost of the program. There is literally zero risk here. And we're going to post this, Justin, tomorrow. A special bonus I've created for AdLeaks members. If you go to the link, if you'll see all the details, if, no obligation, of course, you want this course, you can use the code AdLeaks500 on the checkout page and it'll take $500 off the cost of the program. And there's a one-time payment, and there's a three-payment plan, and everybody from AdLeaks, any of the AdLeaks groups, signs up for this course, I'm going to give you a private, live, one-on-one -on -one consultation with me, between an hour and two hours long, to work on your specific e-com business anchoring strategy tactics, Whatever's challenges you're facing privately, I usually charge $1,500 for that. You sign up for this program, you're going to get one of those free. Anyway, any questions about what we talked about today? Any questions about your challenges or the Epic Ecom Reset course? DM me or email me. It's all in the PDF. And with that, I'm going to say thank you very much for bearing with me today. I appreciate it. And I don't know what's next up in the series, but we will figure it out. I know we might pivot a little bit. Um, well, I can tell you the next couple are going to talk about more specific strategies and tactics for stimulation. I'm going to give you some real life examples. And we're going to get into the right way to set up and execute and manage a retention program that will accelerate your LTV beyond anything you've ever dreamed possible. So those are the next couple of programs. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate everybody for joining. If you have any questions, let us know. If you're interested to get in the 250K Twitter deal, hit me up. Got a lot of people. Uh, it's open to as many people as we can get. So I do appreciate it. Okay. Justin, thank you so much for having me on again today. And um, I hope this was helpful and interesting to some of you. And I look forward to the next session. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.